1: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
0: Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, with more than 2 million downloads, listeners in over 100 countries, and part of the Self-Help for Smart People podcast network. In this episode, we tell the truth about time. We throw out the old and dated conceptions of time management and look at how time really works. We explore the fundamental way you must flip your approach to time so that you can focus on what really matters in life. We look at how you can become an artist, manipulating time at your will, stretching your best moments so that they last longer, and ruthlessly removing the things that clutter your life. If you feel pressed for time, like there's never enough, and want to figure out how to create time for what really matters, you're going to enjoy this episode with our guest Laura Vanderkam. Do you need more time? Time for work? Time for thinking and reading? Time for the people in your life? Time to accomplish your goals? This was the number one problem our listeners outlined, and we created a new video guide that you can get completely for free when you sign up and join our email list. It's called How You Can Create Time for the Things That Really Matter in Life. You can get it completely for free when you sign up and join the email list at successpodcast.com. You're also gonna get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers. We recently pre-released an episode and an interview to our email subscribers a week before it went live to our broader audience. And that had tremendous implications because there was a limited offer in there with only 50 available spots that got eaten up by the people who were on the email list first. With that same interview, we also offered an exclusive opportunity for people on our email list to engage one-on-one for over an hour with one of our guests in a live exclusive interview just for email subscribers. There's some amazing stuff that's available only to email subscribers that's only going on if you subscribe and sign up to the email list. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're driving around right now, if you're out and about and you're on the go, and you don't have time, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. In our previous episode, We showed you the science of communication. Have you ever been afraid to speak or present? Have you been worried that you don't have the skills or tools to communicate your ideas to the world? We dug into the science and the strategies of mastering skills like speaking and presenting, crushing the anxiety that often accompanies these high stakes moments, and sharing evidence based strategies for becoming a master communicator with our guest, Matt Abrahams. If you want to learn how to speak and present with total confidence, check out our previous episode. Now for our interview with Laura. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Laura Vanderkam. Laura is the author of several time management and productivity books. Her TED Talk titled, How to Gain Control of Your Free Time, has been viewed over 5 million times, and she's the co-host of the podcast, Best of Both Worlds. Her work has appeared in publications, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Fortune, and much more. Laura, welcome to the Science of Success.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, we're super excited to have you on the show today. You know, it's funny, we constantly kind of try to pull the listeners and see what kind of topics or themes are really important to them and kind of top of mind for them and time management and how to sort of get more time was actually the number one thing that our listeners wanted to hear about, want to learn more about. And so that's part of the reason we sought you out. And we really wanted to, you know, have some more kind of guests on the show where we got into the concept of time. So thank you for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, well, I'm not surprised that people are concerned about time and trying to do the most with their time because, I mean, obviously how we spend our hours has a big effect on how we live our lives and anything we're going to accomplish is going to require putting time against it. So it's really this ongoing journey of all trying to use our time in better ways. So hopefully we can talk about some strategies today that will be helpful for people.
0: Definitely. So I'd love to start out with kind of this idea of you know, I think so many people, when they think about sort of time management, and I don't even really like the word time management because I think there's so much baggage associated with it. But when people kind of think about, you know, time in their lives, you've talked about a lot of sort of misconceptions in ways that people don't really think about it correctly or, or kind of think about it from from the wrong perspective. I'd love to hear your thoughts around that.
1: Well, certainly a lot of people, when you say time management, what comes to mind is trying to cram, you know, 30 more things into your day, and <laughs> which is really not the point. It's not about scheduling every single minute of your life or, you know, getting 10 zillion more chores done and all your emails you know, answered by 2 p.m. or whatever it is. You know, it's not really about that. It's, it's honestly about spending your time and your energy on the things that are most important to you and on the things that will help you achieve your goals in life. And so when you approach it from that perspective, you have a very different mindset about time. You stop trying to cram more in. In many cases, you tr- start getting rid of things because you realize it would be more beneficial to have open space so you can think about things or deal with situations as they come up or linger in good conversations as they're happening because they start leading to new opportunities. So it's a very different mindset.
0: I love that kind of idea of fundamentally sort of flipping your approach instead of trying to cram as much as possible into your day. You're saying it's really more about removing as much as possible so that there's the space for what's truly important.
1: I mean, there's really no point in being busy just to be busy. And I know people often like to talk about how busy they are and and how much they have going on, which is kind of a nice way to talk about how important we are. Uh, If the demand for our time is high, then we must be um, very important. That's why we're so busy. But, you know, I've interviewed and studied the schedules of many very successful people over the years. And I've always been surprised at how much open space there is in some people's schedules. And these are people who clearly could fill every minute if they chose to. Certainly the demand for their time is there, but they choose not to. They choose to, you know, recognize that that open space does invite opportunity into their lives um, because they have time to think. They have time to linger in, in good things and explore them and, and create new opportunities. So yeah, I think it's about asking for all our commitments, all our obligations, you know, is this something that really is adding joy and meaning to my life and the life of people that I care about. And if so, great, like double down on that. And if not, maybe time to figure out how to scale it down or get rid of it over you know the next few months.
0: Well, I think you touched on something that I'd love to dig into a little bit more, which is this idea that, and I know you've done a lot of work around kind of studying really successful people, learning from them and and seeing at a really granular level kind of how they spend and allocate their time. I'd love to kind of unpack that a little bit more and hear more about, you know, what some of the sort of surprising conclusions or results were from, from that work.
1: Yeah. So I've done a couple of different time diary projects for a book that came out a few years ago. I looked specifically at professional women who are also raising families to so look at how they spent their time. Um, I recently wrote a book called Off the Clock that involved looking at the a day in the life of 900 busy people with, you know, full time jobs other things going on in their personal lives had them track their time for a day ask them questions about how they felt about their time so I could look at uh, what the differences were in people's schedules between you know people who felt relaxed about time people who felt time was abundant with equivalently busy people who felt like time was getting away from them it was scarce uh, they were starved for time and I found uh, a couple of interesting things first that the people who felt most relaxed about their time were highly likely to plan what I call like mini adventures into their lives that, you know, I had people track just a normal March Monday and the people with the most abundant perspective on time were doing things like going to salsa dancing lessons at night or going to a big band concert or going to a movie on a Monday night. And on some of that might seem like a bit of a paradox because, you know, committing to do stuff like that might make us feel like we have less time. You know, I have something in my evening. Therefore, I have less time. But it turns out not to be the case. It turns out that by putting interesting things into our time, we make time memorable. And by, when we make time memorable, then we remember it. And so we don't have this sense that time is just slipping from one side of the hourglass to the other. Uh, So I found that quite fascinating uh, that uh, if you want to actually feel like you have more time, you need to create more memories and have this mindset toward having adventures in your life, even on normal days.
0: I think that's great. And and it comes back to the, the kind of paradox that you talked a little bit about is this idea that the people who are often kind of the most successful don't necessarily... Subscribe to this kind of cult of busyness and constantly telling everyone how busy you are and constantly feeling sort of overwhelmed and busy. It's really, they have a much more kind of slow and intentional approach to their time in many cases
1: yeah they don't fill their time with stuff they don't want to do because they want to leave it open for the things that they do want to do. It's pretty simple when it comes down to it, but it, it has sort of profound implications. I mean, I remember one of the gentlemen I interviewed for off the clock, you know, he's managing teams in three different continents, you know, in corporate America. So of course, I feel like, oh, he must be in meetings all the time. like I'm trying to get on his calendar, like I'm gonna email him and ask for some time, and I'll probably be offered like fifteen minutes on you know a Wednesday, three weeks from now. And he sent me back a note, and it was just like, yeah, I'm pretty free on Thursday and Friday this week. So why don't you just pick a time that works for you? I'm like what? <laughs> what is this? But it, he was intentionally leaving his schedule very blank, and he he wanted to talk with me, and he had open time on on these days. And it's not that he didn't have anything to do. I mean, he has teams on multiple continents, but he made sure that he wasn't packing his calendar with meetings. He had a very good sort of rapport with his teams where they could come to him with anything. um, And they could come to him at any time, but they knew they didn't need to set up a formal hour-long meeting to get an answer on something. And so that allowed him to be very nimble and make decisions very quickly and also allowed them to make decisions very quickly. And so I, I thought that was pretty profound.
0: So for somebody who's kind of caught up in this, you know, this sort of reactionary state of constantly feeling busy and feeling overwhelmed, how can they start to kind of open up to this new approach or this new perspective around thinking about time differently?
1: So whenever anyone wants to spend their time better, I always suggest that they first try to figure out where their time is really going now. And this is another one of those paradoxes. Like, you know, I'm saying, oh, people should feel relaxed axed and off the clock, but I want you to know exactly where your time goes. Uh, We have to pay attention to the clock first before we can start feeling off the clock. Because one of the reasons people feel so overwhelmed and busy is they actually don't know where all their time is going. And so they don't know, am I spending enough time on the things that are important to me? Or maybe I'm skimping in this area or I'm spending too much time in this area. But if you don't know for sure, it can become this source of anxiety and stress. So I have people track their time for a week, it's not as difficult as it sounds. I know probably some people are like, oh, no, not that. But you know, I use a spreadsheet. I've actually been tracking my time for a little over three years continuously now, which nobody else needs to do that. I want to you know, be very clear. I'm not expecting anyone else to track their time for, for three years. But, but just a week gives a very good perspective on your life and where your time really goes. I just use a pretty simple spreadsheet that's got you know, half-hour blocks along the left, days of the week along the top. Um, so there's 168 hours in a week. So there's 336 cells on this particular spreadsheet. And I just write down what I'm doing, check in like three times a day, fill in roughly what I've done since the last time I checked in. Uh, so, so it takes about three minutes a day, which is, you know, the same amount of time I spend brushing my teeth. So not, not a huge commitment and yeah, just look at it at the end and, you know, add it up. See, well, how much time are you working for instance, or how much time? are you spending in the car? How much time are you sleeping? How much sort of your TV time or exercise time or volunteering time or friend time or family time, you know, whatever it is that you happen to do with yourself. And then when you look at the categories, you can kind of decide, well, does this seem right? Uh, you know, how do I feel about this? And and the fascinating things is it, people have all kinds of stories they tell themselves about where the time goes, which, which may not be true. We have a tendency to view our sort of weeks where we're working in the longest hours as typical so in our minds, we're like, oh, well, I was at the office until 9 p.m. on Wednesday. Therefore, I'm working you know, always 12-hour days. And if I think of you know, five days a week, that's 60 hours. And I'm working on weekends, too, sometimes, you know, so doing things. And so it must be like 70 hours a week. But it turns out, like, every other day, you weren't there until 9 p.m. And there were breaks during the day. And you know, Friday, you came in late and left quite early. And those weekend email checks only asked. Added up to an hour, even though it felt like more than that. You know, and it, the number will come out to like forty-eight hours. And people are like, wait, wait, what? Forty-eight hours? That's a very different number than seventy. But that's what happens. Or people tend to remember their shortest night as typical because, again, it, it you know it really stinks to not sleep, and so we tend to remember the night where we didn't sleep, and that stands out in our minds. But you know, I found looking at people's time logs. The vast majority of people sleep more than seven hours per day when you average it over the whole week, even, you know, very high earning people, successful people, um, people with a lot of responsibility, people with young kids. We have people on listening to the podcast in that situation. You know, even so, it does tend to add up over the week, not for everybody, but for the vast majority of people. So, it, you know, often looking at our time logs, we can get a better sort of sense that's not in this, you know, story of overwhelm this narrative of catastrophe. And and when we step back from that and just look at the numbers, then we can decide, well, actually, you know, I am spending a little bit more time in the car than I'd like. Are there ways I could scale that down? Um. Or you know, I'm doing more errands than I'd like. Are there ways we could start ordering stuff online? Or you know, I seem to be at work longer than I wish to be because I get really distracted in the middle of the afternoon, go down some internet rabbit hole, and if I maybe figured out how to manage my energy and take real breaks, then I could actually focus for the afternoon. Maybe I could get out a reasonable hour. So lots of things he can discover.
0: You know, it's so true. The mind, and and we talk about this all the time on the show, and actually our very first. Episode ever of the science of success was called the biological limits of the human mind, and you know the mind is such an inaccurate tool. Sometimes there's so many kind of biases and shortcuts, etc. Often our our own perceptions of the way things are, even about our own lives, are are really inaccurate. And it's an, not until we kind of measure them that we can really get a true picture of what's really happening.
1: Yeah, and I mean I talk about this all the time, and yet I do it myself. <laughs> and so that was certainly one of the things I discovered when I started tracking my time continuously. I had this idea that I worked you know, 50 hours a week because I had tracked my time for a few weeks here and there over the years, and I had always worked about 50 hours a week during those weeks. And then I started tracking my time continuously, and I realized that in the past, I had chosen very specific weeks to track, namely the weeks when I was working 50 hours a week because I had in my mind that was who I am, you know, I'm this professional working long hours and you know I want to show these weeks to the world that that show that and when I track my time continuously I couldn't do that and I found that the average was a lot closer to 40 which is a different number than 50. So 10 hours that you know now I need to account for where are they going? I don't know, but well I found out but you know it's <laughs> you need to track the, your time to start getting that data.
0: And it's I found you know this is kind of getting deeper down the rabbit hole but In talking kind of back to this importance of measurement, one of the things that I've taken some time to do for myself is kind of map out what an ideal day would look like for like a 24-hour cycle and basically say every hour, you know, how do I want to allocate and be spending that time? And then started kind of measuring that against not only sort of what my actual days looked like and how i was spending those hours but even kind of spot checking or looking at certain items like you know set example like flagging how many hours a week do i spend in meetings and going back through my calendar for like a month or two and tracking okay every week i had you know 15 hours this week 22 hours this week all that kind of stuff and starting to see you know whether it's meetings or time wasted you know browsing on my phone or like different kind of core like almost like red flag items finding those opportunities it's like hey, maybe if i tweak this thing and set more of like a budget for how much time I'm going to spend on these activities, suddenly you can really start to free up, you know, hours a week that you didn't realize were getting kind of wasted down a certain rabbit hole or sucked into a certain activity.
1: I think that's a really smart idea. I like the idea of creating, I like to call it a realistic ideal day. I mean, so it's not a perfect day because then we'd have flying cars, but a realistic ideal day that, you know, what would your schedule look like? And you don't need to set there. I mean, how about a realistic ideal week? because again, a week is the cycle of life as you live it. And so, you know, when you're thinking of that ideal day, you're often picturing, say, a work day, but we have weekends as well. And we should think about them, you know, because being intentional about our weekends is a great way to sort of maximize our fun, leisurely, enjoyable time and make sure we're spending that in ways that are rejuvenating to ourselves as a, as opposed to, you know, just spending the whole weekend on chores and errands or um, else attempting to do nothing. And yet the nothing turns into stuff that we didn't really want to do. And so you hit Monday not feeling so great about it.
0: And I know you wrote about kind of some of these strategies for as you called it, sort of making life memorable and, you know, the idea of sort of not filling time and lingering. I'd love to dig into that a little bit more and maybe talk about how we can savor some of the, you know, the finer moments of life.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things about time is it does keep passing but we can learn how to make some of the good moments pass as slowly as what we think of the bad moments. So you think you're so bo- stuck in a boring meeting, you're looking at the clock, counting seconds, hoping it's going to be 11 o'clock soon and you can get out of there. That time seems to pass really slowly. And, you know, yet good moments seem to often go by very quickly. So the question is, can we become sort of better stewards of time or artists manipulating time by really lingering in these good moments and trying to stretch them. And and there's turns out to be a couple techniques that really work. I found some research on this. Uh, there's a book called Savoring that came out in I think 2006 by a couple of researchers who had really delved into this topic of how people learn to stretch good experiences. So, you know, in psychology it's fascinating to see how people can take, you know, tough moments and and be resilient in them, but it's also an equally interesting thing to see how people can take good moments and, and make them feel deeper and last longer. So a big chunk of that is knowing that they are coming up because when we know something good is going to happen, then we can anticipate it. And the anticipation can stretch the pleasure for quite a bit of time. You know, that that concert with your favorite artist is only going to last two, three hours, but if you get the tickets two months ahead of time, you can think about it for two months and you can have some of the pleasure of knowing you're going to go hear it for for two months. So that's one way to stretch out the pleasure. Um, certainly while the good event is happening, You want to do your best to be fully present, to take in as many of the details as possible. That's sort of one way to keep your mind from, from wandering to your utility bills or something like that. But just, you know, notice details and think about how you might describe this to someone afterwards and the stories of it. If you have somebody there with you, talk about how much you're enjoying yourselves. Um, actually calling that out to each other is, is a good way to remind yourself that you are enjoying yourselves uh, and to focus on that. And, and then after the fact, you sort of think about how you can, you do recount it to someone, like you tell the story, you tell the story again, if you can, because the more times you tell it, um, you get a little bit of pleasure from it each time. Uh, think about ways that you can commemorate it. If there's any sort of artifacts you can take from the time, that's why people buy concert T-shirts. It's it's a way to get at that, to get some of that pleasure from it. But you know, and sometimes you can even consciously do this with things that you know you're going to want to remember later. I had a Great conversation with, with a lady the other day who told me that she had gone to Europe one summer when she was a young person. And, and one of her um, companions on this trip kept playing the same song over and over again. They're kind of like, why are you doing this? Like, why do you keep playing this song? And her companion said at one point, listen, every time for the rest of your life that you hear this song, you are going to think about the summer. And it is true. They do. Every time they hear that song, that is the summer that comes to mind. They have those memories of their summer in Europe and what they did, you know, long after the relationships themselves have gone away. They, they still have this song which allows them to stretch back that memory, to still have that memory, um, even when so much of life tends to fade.
0: That's a great example. And I I can think of a a personal instance of a trip that I took with with my wife and some friends a couple years ago. And we were all obsessed with this one song. We played it over and over and over again. And now every time we're together and we hear it, we all like think back to that trip and it's, it's sort of encoded to that memory.
1: You can do that. You could, I mean, you could even do it with like, you know, your hotel soap or something. If you're trying to remember a vacation, like sniff the soap. And then from, for the rest of your life, that olfactory memory is going to be associated with this time. And so having those artifacts is what tends to unlock this and allows us to uh, relive. And and the more memories you have of a unit of time, the more time seems to expand. That's how our brain and judges how much time we have is how many memory units we have formed. If you think about like the first day of a vacation, it tends to seem very long if you're traveling somewhere exotic because you know your brain has no idea what it needs to know. So it's sort of remembering everything that you encounter. And that can make that day seem very, very long. So the question is, well, can you do that in normal life too, right? Can you have new experiences, novel experiences? Can you plan in things that will be memorable? Because then you will remember those days.
0: I want to come back to kind of getting back to like the concept more broadly of how we conceive of time. And I know you've shared or talked kind of a phrase about the idea that time is is highly elastic. I'd love to incorporate that into kind of the conversation we've already been having and, and explain that topic a little bit more.
1: Yeah, so I mean, time is what it is. But I always say that time stretches to accommodate what we need or want to put into it. And in my TED talk, you mentioned in the intro, I tell a story of a lady who tracked her time for me, very, very busy, you know, many things going on in her life, but she goes out for Wednesday night for something, she comes home and finds that her water heater has broken. And so there's water all over her basement. So she obviously has to deal with this, the minute aftermath at night, the plumbers and the cleaning crew, because her carpet's all destroyed and everything. You know, all this is being recorded on the time log for the week, and it winds up taking about seven hours of her week. And if you think about a lot of time management literature that is out there, it's all structured along those ideas of, oh, we're going to help our readers, our viewers, our listeners find an extra hour in the day. You know, we're going to shave bits of time off everyday activities, add it up, we'll have time for the good stuff. We're going to find an extra hour in the day. Well, if you think about it, you know finding seven hours in a week to deal with this water heater explosion is is like finding an extra hour in the day. But you know, obviously, if you she'd been thinking at the start of the week, like, oh, you know, let me find seven hours to whatever train for a triathlon. Like, I think like most of a most of us she w- she would have not been able to find the seven hours to do that. But then when she had to find seven hours because there's water everywhere, uh, she finds seven hours, and so really. What this gets at is, is that time is elastic. It's not that she had a magical seven hours somewhere. It's that when something was important enough to her, when it was, you know, getting water all over her basement, she had to deal with it. And so she found the seven hours. And really the key to time management in general is treating whatever is important to us as the equivalent of this broken water heater. Like we decide that we are going to get to it. We are going to make the time in our lives and our busy lives for it. And, you know, it's sort of a less extreme example, but you might see this all the time. If you've ever um, picked up a real page turner of a book or started a real you know, binge worthy series, it is somewhat magical how you find extra time to read the next few pages or to watch the next episode. Like, where did that time come from? Well, what it is is that you had something you really want wanted to do with it. Um, and so you made the time. Uh, time is very elastic. Uh, it will it will stretch to accommodate what you decide to put into it. So make sure that you are putting the important stuff in first and, and everything else will kind of fit around that.
0: And I think this kind of hints at or not even hints, but really kind of gets at the core of one of my favorite quotes, which is there's no such thing as lack of time. There's only lack of priorities.
1: Yeah, that's a, like a similar version of this. Uh, a very busy woman I once interviewed put it to me like, you know, I don't, I never say I don't do, I don't have time to do X, Y, or Z. I don't do X, Y, or Z because it's not a priority. Um, that basically I don't have time means it's not a priority, which is true. If you think about it, I mean, whatever it is you're saying is, is not a prior, it's not, you know, that you don't have time for, like if somebody offered to pay you a hundred thousand dollars to do it, like it would probably become a priority. So if you think about it that way, whatever it is, like you'd probably do it. You'd find the time. Uh, obviously, that's not going to happen for most things, but but putting it that way can can help us see the reality of this, that in most cases, you know, if it's not a priority, we're not choosing. I mean, we're choosing not to do it. And it doesn't mean that it wouldn't be a priority for someone else. It doesn't mean that it's not a good thing. It just means that for whatever reason in your life right now, it is not a priority. And so I think we are better off just owning that and being honest with ourselves rather than hiding behind this excuse of lacking time.
0: Figure Lending, LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. You know, I think many people's lives, uh, they they never even sort of pause to take 10 seconds and consider what their priorities actually are and and kind of end up almost like a pinball, just sort of bouncing between commitment, commitment, you know, reaction, reaction, reaction. How do we start to kind of break out of that?
1: Yeah, it's very easy to be reactive when it comes to time because time keeps passing, whether we think about how we're spending it or not. And so it's like you're, you know, in a boat in the middle of the stream. It's kind of hard to direct things from there. You kind of have to pause get yourself over to the side and see where the current's going. And the people who manage to do that are the people who feel like they have a better control of their time and their schedule and where their lives are going. In this time diary study I did for off the clock, I found that people who uh, had the highest time perception scores were also the most likely to engage in what I called reflective activities. Um, So that's things like journaling or meditating or praying, um, just sort of these things that have you step back from your life and think about your life. And so the people with the highest time perception scores did these on average pretty much every other day. Um, The people with the lowest time perception scores, at least half never did it. Like never did those things. And again, these are all equivalently busy people. These are all people who are working full time and all sort of working within a, a range of hours. They're pretty normal. All have commitments in their personal lives. Uh, it doesn't take much time to write in a journal or meditate. Uh, you, you can do it in five minutes. And in fact, the people with low time perception scores spent more time watching TV or on social media. So again, they had leisure time. They were just not spending it in ways that allowed them to think and reflect on their lives. So if you do want to feel like you have more time, you might try and those little bits of time, you know, we all have when you're waiting for a phone call to start, waiting for the bus, something like that. Instead of picking up your phone and deleting email or looking at headlines or looking at social media, you might try just thinking about your life or writing in a journal, meditating, any of those things. Because if you do those things, you will start to feel like you have more time.
0: We've often on the show heard those kind of reflective activities, also called contemplative routines. And there's a lot of science around kind of how powerful those are in in shaping, you know, your priorities and your ability to sort of step back and really determine what the most important things to focus on in life are.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them. (laughs) But the science is pretty good on it. It it makes sense, right? And, you know, I think the key thing for people is it doesn't have to be, you know, the hour long session. You don't have to go off on the, you know, silent retreat. For three days. It's really about just taking these little bits of time and choosing to do something other than, you know, being on email, not really doing anything productive, but thinking we are. Because what happens is people have leisure time, but then we tend to chop it up with these, these phone checks. And, you know, I found that the people who had the highest time perception scores check their phones about half as frequently as the people who had the lowest time perception scores.
0: And just briefly, I'd love to dig in a little bit. Tell me what exactly is kind of a time perception score and how does that sort of factor into, I mean, I think we could assume it, but I just want to make sure we have a really clear understanding of kind of what it is and how that's sort of shaped by people's behavior.
1: Yeah. So I realized I didn't, I was just throwing that out there and didn't mention what it was, but when I I had people track their time for a day, these, these 900 people And then I asked them, it was like 13 questions uh, that was getting at various aspects of time perception. So like yesterday I felt present rather than distracted, or generally in life I have time for the things that are important to me, or yesterday I spent time on things that made me happy, you know, generally make time for people who are important to me. Just all these different things that, you know, we're getting at feeling like you had enough time, right? And so people could answer from strongly disagree one to strongly agree seven, and then I would assign them a score. So the people who had the most sevens on the all these questions were were at the top of the time perception score. The people with the most ones in the lower scores were on the the bottom. Uh, and I could break it out. There's 900 people, so again I could you know cut it a little bit and say the top 20 percent, the top 3 percent, the bottom 20 percent, bottom 3 percent. Um, compared to the average and, and see what it was different. And, you know, what was interesting to me is some of the things that worked different. You know, you might think that the people with the lowest time perception scores were working really extreme hours, for instance. And that turned out not to be ca- the case. Almost everyone I studied worked between seven and nine hours on this March Monday. And the people who had the lowest time perception scores were really not that, I mean, it was minutes off the average. Uh, it was not very different from the average at all. So it's it's not that they were working around the clock or anything like that. It was just, You know, how we choose to spend that discretionary time we have has a big effect on how we perceive time.
0: I think that's a really critical point, which is that it's not that people who feel distracted or like they don't have time for what's really important. It's not that they're necessarily working harder. It's that their their sort of time is getting sucked into things like browsing their phone or getting sucked into Facebook or social media instead of being kind of consciously invested in things that are really important or really high value to them
1: definitely and and i've seen this in various you know schedules of high profile people i've studied i talk about how I've tracked my time and I can look at the days they're tracking. I see like I might be working more hours than these people, but it's it's not because the demand for my time is higher. I, these people, these are people who could pack every minute of the day if they wanted to. It's that they're choosing not to. They're s- sort of embracing their power by saying my schedule is mine. If I only wish to have seven hours of work commitments for the day, that's great. I'm going to leave open space in the middle of the day so I can relax or think, take a real break. Or if things run over, then I have space for it without making the rest of the day be a disaster. Uh, so, so it was really their power move is not to pack every minute. And I, th- I think that's fascinating. Like, you know, being busy is not always an example of how important you are. It's really sometimes more an example that you have not yet claimed your control over your calendar.
0: It's funny. We've talked about this in a couple previous interviews, one of them with Greg McHugh and the author of Essentialism, where we really kind of dug into the, the kind of cult of busyness and how you know, if you ask someone how they're doing in, in in the United States today, almost always their response is, oh, busy, busy, good, busy. Not fine,
1: busy, <laughs> which is fascinating, right?
0: <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's so funny because we get kind of caught up in that, that sort of self-importance of busyness. But I've ever since really kind of going starting to go down this rabbit hole of time management and using contemplative routines to sort of determine the most important things to focus on. Not only have I tried to not tell people that I'm busy, but I also, when someone says that they're busy, I almost view that as a marker that they don't really have, they haven't really invested the the time in these kind of reflective activities to cultivate actual control over their time.
1: Yeah. And if they did, I think they'd get a very different perspective. So hopefully people listening to this will take that to heart.
0: So I want to get into some of the kind of specific tactics and strategies for implementing some of these ideas and and themes. Specifically, I know we kind of touched on and and you talked a little bit about kind of this idea of a time log or a time diary. I'd love to learn a little bit more about how listeners could kind of concretely implement that.
1: Yeah, tracking your time doesn't have to be very complicated. I I use a very simple spreadsheet. Um, People want to come to my website. It's just my name, lauravandercam.com. You can get emailed one there. You know, you can make your own. Uh, It's really just Excel. Or you can use, there's dozens of time tracking apps on the market. Um, You know, often it's like billing software, for instance. Uh, People buy it for their companies because they need to bill their time to different things. But you can repurpose that to bill all the projects in your personal life, too, uh, if if you felt like it. Or you can even just like walk around with a little notebook and write in that what you're doing. Like the, the tool itself is really not all that important. What's important is that you just try to stick with it and, and don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Like you don't have to record every bathroom break. You don't have to record every time you you know got up and filled your water bottle at the water cooler. Uh, it's really more about just having this holistic perspective on where the time goes um, so that you know roughly like, okay, I was, I was working during this time and I took a break here and this is what I did with my break. And, you know, this is when I got in the car and this is when I got home and this is what I did after I got home. This is when I ate dinner. This is, you know, what I did afterwards. This is when I went to bed, you know, then on weekends too, make sure you track a weekend. Uh, I find people, I ask people to do this sometimes, and then they just stop on Friday afternoon. uh, Did did life stop then? (laughs) Did it not continue? What happened? I mean, it's fine. If you don't want to share what you did on your weekend with me, that's, that's perfectly fine. I understand that, but you know, it's usually not about that. It's just that they didn't even think it was important to track the weekend. But, you know, I think part of feeling off the clock and relaxed about our time is, is knowing where our potential leisure time is and knowing that we're spending it on things that we truly enjoy. And one of the best ways to figure that out is to actually track a weekend um, to say, what are you doing with the 60 hours between 6 p.m. Friday and 6 a.m. Monday? And how are you happy with that? You know, did, did it go the way you'd like? You know, what did you not do? What did you do? How do you feel about that? So yeah, just try for a week and then look at the major categories and ask yourself what you like about it. Uh, there's probably something that's going great, and you should celebrate whatever that is. Uh, you can ask what you want to do more of with your time, and you can also ask what you want to spend less time doing. And I think if you focus on all those questions and and kind of ramp up the things you do want to do, and ramp down the things you don't, then then over time you will start to spend your time better.
0: You know, it's such an important point that you shouldn't get kind of caught up in letting perfect be the enemy of good. I think people people so often get kind of trapped in this fear that they have to be capturing everything, they have to be measuring it perfectly, and There's a really good kind of mental model that we talk a lot about on the show as well, which is the idea of being roughly right is often better than being kind of precisely wrong. And, you know, the idea is generally if you're just sort of approximately correct, you can actually get a ton of value out of that. But if you try to refine it too much, oftentimes you end up, you know, derailing yourself or not doing it or whatever. And so sometimes the freedom of just getting it approximately correct is a really effective strategy.
1: Yeah, it also saves time too. <laughs> Letting right. letting go of expert expectations of perfection is, is one of the best time management strategies I've ever encountered because, you know, it's probably good enough. The vast majority of things like going from the 95th percentile to the 99th is, is not really getting you much and probably is wasting a lot of time.
0: So one of the other kind of themes or ideas that I know you've talked about, and it dovetails, obviously, with everything we've been sort of discussing today, but I think it's really kind of worth digging into and sharing is this idea of putting your priorities into your schedule first, and then kind of filling everything else. And I'd love to hear you explain that and tell a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you read a lot of time management literature. We, everyone talks about this because it, it's what really matters that you put what is important to you in your schedule first. And, you know, some people go as far as like, you know, why would we even bother making a, a to-do list if it doesn't have a time attached to it? Like, what is that? It's These things that we want to do take time. Our time is represented by a calendar. Like we only have so much time. If it doesn't have an assigned time, it can't happen. So better to think about, the assigned time for these tasks that you are deciding to do as opposed to just listing them and hoping that they will they will happen at some point. I try to put important stuff in my schedule first by planning my weeks before I'm in them. I try to do this on Friday afternoon which is, is something I actually picked up from David Allen, a productivity expert. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. But he said a lot of his clients were planning their weeks and sort of doing their re- weekly review on on Friday afternoon. So what I do is I make a three category list for the week ahead career, relationships, and self. And the reason to have a three category priority list is it will nudge you to put something in all three categories. like it's pretty hard to make a three category list and then leave one of the categories blank. Uh, that's just not how people tend to make lists so it's a little little trick right there to nudge you to have a more balanced life but just a short list you can put like you know two to three items in each, probably not more than you know eight, 10. If it's more than 10, if they're not really priorities. Then it's just like your laundry list of everything you need to do. But, you know, the good thing about this is you've got your work stuff there. Most people know roughly what the, you know, good things they should be doing on the work front beyond what they absolutely have to do. But nudging yourself to create things like personal priorities or relationship priorities, even more so, you know, it makes those things happen because you start saying, oh, well, what is my relationship priority for the next week? Well, you know, my spouse and I haven't been out to eat in a while. Let's let me Ask this person like what would be a good night for that, and then we can maybe make a restaurant reservation somewhere. And if if there needs to be a babysitter involved, you're in that stage. Well, then you make it happen. But you get the logistics, and then you both have it on your calendar. You're both looking forward to it. You got a reservation somewhere. Like it's probably going to happen. Whereas if you just sort of generally have in your mind like yeah, we should spend time together, yeah, that's not going to happen. Or getting together with friends. Uh, many of the people who are happiest about their time, who uh, have the t- high time perception scores in my studies, are the people who spent the most time with friends, because they are the people who make us feel like time is good. Like we have time for the things we want to do. So, you know, you look at your priority list for the next week and say, Oh, actually, I really want to get together with this friend I haven't seen in ages. Let's see if we can go out for a drink together sometime during the week. You email that person, you look at your calendar, see when it can happen. and All of a sudden, like, wow, you're meeting for a drink on Thursday night. How, how exciting is that? How awesome is that? You're going to look forward to that all week. But, but that's how you schedule these priorities. That's how you think about what you'd like to be doing, get it on the calendar. And, and then these things happen
0: i love the i love two two of the themes from that one though the planning your week before you get in them phenomenal tactic and and i am you know borrowed very similar strategy from G, is he the author of gtd or is yeah, getting
1: some, things done yes yeah, yeah
0: yeah so yeah same thing i use the same exact methodology i do it on sort of sundays i spend an hour or two planning out my whole week and setting kind of my most important tasks for every single day and that really helps me kind of feel like i'm starting the week with, you know with a with a foot ahead basically but the other thing that I've found really interesting is that you, you know, everybody's kind of to-do list or priority list often is, is almost exclusively career focused. And, and, you know, I love that you sort of included relationships, but also really self on there. It's, it's, it's such an important bucket. And I feel like many cases gets almost completely kind of left off or neglected.
1: Yeah, but it's really what makes life feel doable. I mean, if you have on there, like it doesn't even have to be the things you do regularly. So, you know, if you run five times a week already, like that, that doesn't have to be one of your personal priorities. Like that's probably already going to happen. You're good about that. But maybe it's that you want to, instead of just doing your three miles on the treadmill in the morning, someday you're going to go find beautiful park and run there. Like, so you look at the upcoming weather for the week and see that, you know, one day it's going to be really great weather and you want to go to this park and you can carve out time for that to happen. <laughs> like, wow, you're gonna have a great run. Like you're gonna look forward you're going to enjoy it. You're going to think about it afterwards. So something like that could go in there or time for a hobby perhaps, or even like, you know, reading a hundred pages in the novel that has been sitting on your bedside stand for the last six months. Like that could be a personal priority that you want to get through to the next week. But yeah, like elevating these things to the same status as your work priority list, your work to-do list just massively increases the chances that they happen. And, and it treats them with the importance that these things deserve um, because, you know, they are important. This is an important part of life. Life isn't just work. Work is a wonderful part of life. Hopefully, you know, work is a very enjoyable, meaningful, fulfilling part of life, but it tends not to be the only thing. And so treating ourselves and our, our relationships with prior, you know, as important as well, it can ma- really make us feel like
0: whole people. I want to jump into another kind of tactic that that I've heard you share that I think is really impactful. And I wanted to kind of share with the audience, which is this idea of writing your sort of next year's review or writing your next year's sort of family letter.
1: Yeah. So this is a way to start thinking about your goals, but putting your goals into kind of a near term thing, like the next six to 12 months. So one way you can think about this is writing your own year and performance review, either for the end of this year, or if you're you know, listening to this sort of at the end of the year, maybe think about the next calendar year, but, you know, say like, let's say it's been an amazing year for you professionally, and you're giving yourself this performance review. That's making you like pop the champagne corks. Cause it's been so awesome. Like what three things would you have done professionally in the course of the year that would make it so amazing? So you you think about what these goals would be, these, these things you would write in a prospective performance review, because, you know, those are the things that made an amazing year professionally. So those are really your top career goals. You can do this in your personal life too. You think about what you might write in a a holiday letter. If you have listeners who are young enough, who have never gotten one of these, you know, really ridiculous missives that people mail out around the holidays. You just think about yourself being at like a holiday party in December. And you're telling your friends and family what you did in your personal life that mattered to you in the course of the year. So you can look forward to December and think about, well, what would these things be? Like if this were to be a really amazing year, like the sort of year that I'm just on fire at this party telling people about, like, what would those three things be? You know, maybe it's the year that you took the extended family trip to Ireland or the year you ran that 10 K or the year you uh, joined a choir or did a community theater production or whatever it is. But like, what would be so cool in your personal life that you would really just want to tell people about it at this party? And so like list three things. And, And now between the prospective performance review and this holiday party chit chat you have six top goals these are six top priorities for the next you know 6 to 12 months whatever time of the year it happens to be you should put this list somewhere really prominently like put it on your desk put it on a post it note on your computer like you want to look at this list all the time because this list can start informing your schedule choices if you plan your weeks on friday like i do or sunday like you do look at that post it, look at the six things and say, well, what am I actually doing in the next week? That would get me toward those goals. Like, am I making any steps uh, toward those? Those, Because if I can, well, those should definitely be on the priority list. You know, if this is the year you're going to run that 10k, you should, you know, for the next year, next week, you can definitely make it a priority to research which 10k you think you could do and, and maybe find a training book somewhere and, you know, find your training shoes, your running shoes that you have to dig out of the closet and find somebody who'll go run with you. But these are all steps you can take that will get you toward those goals.
0: You know, it's it's funny, the kind of the same sort of Sunday review that I do is sort of your Friday review. I keep a list of all of my sort of medium term goals. And then I'll look at those and then say, all right, how am I going to, you know, this next week, how am I going to take action towards as many of those as possible? And sort of like Monday, I'm going to take action on this one. Tuesday, I'm going to take action on this one, etc. And it's a great way to kind of chunk those down and keep sort of meaningful progress going, you know, every single day or every single week.
1: That's great, and I love that you're thinking about putting it on Monday and Tuesday because I think that's the real, you know, pro tip here for your listeners is when you make that priority list, put as much of it toward, as possible toward the front of the week. And the reason is, you know, it's a, it's treating it as a priority, so you want to do it first. But also, stuff is going to come up. I mean, the reality of life is that you know things will happen. Like I don't know, it'd be a big snowstorm or you know power outage at the office or you know work emergency, major client calls, you need X, Y, or Z like the closer these priorities are toward the front of the week, the emergency they either have yet to happen, or if you do have stuff come up, then you have the rest of the week to reschedule this stuff. Whereas if you put it off till the end of the week, you say, oh, I'm going to do all that Friday afternoon. Well, you know, you might not because you'll be tired on Friday afternoon, you won't have energy to start these new projects. And, you know, if you're racing to get to the weekend with stuff that's come up during the week, then that's, you know, these high priority, but maybe not, you know, urgent stuff is going to get jettisoned. So as much as possible as you can do Monday or Tuesday, the better off you'll be.
0: I want to kind of zoom in. We've been talking about sort of time in a broader sense. I want to zoom into a really specific day part and see what from your sort of work and research have you seen around kind of the most effective morning and evening routines?
1: Yeah. Well, morning routines are always a a big draw in the productivity world. We all want to find the perfect morning routine that's going to help us get so much done and, and start the day on the right foot. And I think mornings can really be great. I mean, I, I love when I see people with morning routines. I want to stress for people, it it doesn't have to be this great thing. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be elaborate. And if you're doing the stuff in life that you find important to you, like if you are finding time for exercise and any creative pursuits you want to do and spending time with friends and family, like you do, you probably don't actually even need some sort of elaborate morning routine. It's more that for many people who have full-time jobs that are in offices and have family commitments or personal life commitments, morning tends to be the time that you can get to these things that are important to you before everybody else wants a piece of you the rest of the day, before you wind up with all the work emergencies, the personal demands. So if there is something that is important to you, that life has a way of crowding out then morning is often the the best time to do those things. You know, it probably you don't have to wake up at the crack of dawn. You probably don't even have to sleep less. Many people, when they track their time, they discover that they are not spending the hours before they go to sleep in particularly wonderful ways. This tends to be the time when people are just, you know, watching TV that they didn't mean to watch, puttering around the house, like, you know, surfing the web, two-hour Instagram, I don't know what it is, but like people are doing stuff before bed that they're just tired. And so it just keeps going. But if you can, you know, put a stop to it a little bit earlier, go to bed a little bit earlier, wake up a little bit earlier, and you can then have time in the morning for these things that do require focus and discipline, like, you know, exercise or writing that novel, or, you know, any other sort of creative pursuit that you wish to do, or, you know, even family breakfast or something like that. If, if you're if you have a family and family dinner is difficult to make happen, because people are all these different places family breakfast could be a great substitute. So yeah, you know, it's it's whatever is important to you that life has a way of crowding out. And I think for most people, the evening routine is about enabling the morning routine. So the evening routine is about making sure that you are going to bed at a time that will allow you to wake up rested and ready to go. I sadly enough, I do I do think that going to bed early is how grown-ups sleep in.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that and I think the you know, the idea of sort of flipping the kind of unproductive evening time into really productive morning time is, is a great kind of hack because it's so easy to get sucked into kind of just sitting on your phone and looking at Instagram for an hour before you go to sleep. And yet that time is completely wasted. Whereas if you would have just gone to bed and then gotten up an hour early, you could do some really kind of fruitful and productive work, you know, first thing in the morning.
1: Exactly. Easier said than done, of course. But yes, that is the goal.
0: I mean, I think it comes back to one of the themes we've talked about in the, earlier in the conversation, which is the idea of measurement, right? If you're, if you're not measuring and tracking that time, you might not even really be aware that you're... How much time you're really spending kind of browsing your phone or watching TV or doing things that, you know, maybe you, you don't want to spend five hours a day on your phone. Maybe three hours a day would be plenty of time texting and chatting and that kind of stuff
1: and then you get two hours back. Yeah. Or else you're walking around with this story that you're not a morning person. And I hear this from people all the time, like, oh, I'm not a morning person. Well, sure. I mean, there are people who are night owls, and I'm sure many of your listeners truly are. And the way to know is if you are doing your best work at night, like if you are, you know, running that side hustle at night, you're writing the great American novel at night, you're, you know, doing your paintings or composing your music or, you know, whatever it is, like if you are doing that at night, great, you're a night owl. For most people, what they mean when they say they're not a morning person is that they're tired in the morning, but they haven't really thought through, well, why? Why am I tired in the morning? Well, maybe it's because I am on Instagram for an hour before bed every night. And my life would be improved in all sorts of ways if I stopped doing that. You get an extra hour of sleep or maybe just get an extra half hour of sleep and wake up half an hour earlier and have time to write in a journal or meditate or go for a run or, you know, actually spend some relaxed time with your, your spouse or your kids. I, these are all things that you can do if you had a bit more control over, you know, getting to bed at a reasonable time so you could wake up refreshed.
0: So for listeners who want to kind of concretely implement some of the ideas or themes that we've talked about today, what would be kind of a starting point or a for, a first sort of piece of homework you would give them as an action item to begin implementing some of these things?
1: Well, I hope people would try tracking their time for a week, but if you can't get through a week, just try it for a day, right? Like try one weekday and one weekend day and, and see what you learn from that. And often that can whet your appetite for keeping it going for a week. One kind of fun exercise that might help you have a different perspective on time is to try, you know, planning in one of these little adventures during your week. So like, think about tomorrow, probably, you know, if you're listening to this during the week, tomorrow's a normal work day, nothing crazy going on. But look at your schedule, think about how you plan to spend your time and think about, well, what one like out of the ordinary, memorable, fun thing could I do with my time tomorrow? And it doesn't have to be elaborate. I mean, it could be that, you know, you take a colleague you've been meaning to chat with and the two of you go to a new restaurant that opened up down the street. Or maybe, you know, you're working closely with a team, you all know each other pretty well, you decide to like go to a park for that meeting instead of sitting in your conference room. Or maybe it's that you, you know, park your car in a different garage and take, walk a slightly different route into work and, and then on the way to your car in the evening, uh, you stop in some cool little store that you saw on the way in and you explore that for a few minutes before you go, you know, brave the traffic on the way home. Or maybe at night, you know, it's that you go for a walk after dinner or you go, you know, someplace interesting to have a drink with a friend or it just anything that would be different, that would, would be a little adventure you can put into your life. Think about what that might be and, and make make that happen for tomorrow. And I promise you that you will remember the day a little bit better and it will also make you feel like you have have more time, mostly because you start to see yourself as the kind of person who has the time to do these adventures. It's really all about the mental game. It's all about time is how we perceive it. And we do all have the same amount of time and time doesn't stop for anyone. But we can do so many things with our amazing brains to change our interaction with it. And that will change our perception of it.
0: And for listeners who want to learn more, who want to find you and your work online, what is the best place for them to do that?
1: Well, you can come visit my website, which is com. I'm one of those old school people who's still blogging four times a week. I, I guess I never left 2007, but I, I enjoy it still. If you've listened to all your episodes of The Science of Success and you're looking for other podcasts, I run one called The Best of Both Worlds with my co-host, Sarah Hart Unger. I also hope some of your listeners will check out the book that just came out, Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done to a lot of these strategies that we talked about in in this episode on how to make more memories, how to feel more in control of our time, how to feel more like time is fun, as opposed to this sort of drumbeat marching toward doom.
0: Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your time with us today, and for sharing all of these insightful lessons and strategies.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email.